Well, it is so good to see you all. I know we've got kind of uh, Minnesota summer attendance here still. Uh, it's just kind of a reality. Uh, I don't really need to introduce myself, obviously, having just been up here. Uh, but I do want to uh, reintroduce, uh, for those that maybe have missed or been gone or are visiting, uh, the sermon series you're in. So uh, we've been this summer in the middle of a series on parables, uh, stories that Jesus told uh, and uh, used to explain the kingdom of God, to talk about uh, his ways, to talk about his work in this world. And uh, we've uh, been doing that all summer. And uh, for these last three weeks, or next three weeks, I guess, starting with me, we're actually going to hear from each uh, of our elders that is not named Drew Zolke. So I'll be preaching this week. I believe Jordan is next week. Or is Jared? Jordan is next week, and then Jared will be uh, the week after. And so we're going to continue sharing the stories, but Drew gave us a little bit longer leash uh, for these last three weeks. Uh, so buckle up. Um, but he gave us a little longer leash. He, he wanted us to share a little bit more of our stories, uh, uh, introduce you uh, to ourselves a little bit more. Um, and so this isn't just going to be like a, a biography. Uh, don't need to worry. Uh, if you sleep during sermons, usually this one would be a real snoozer if it was just about me. Um, but uh, we do want to share a little bit about ourselves, share a little bit of our stories. Uh, and, and today I've got a, a passage that uh, has been particularly meaningful for me in my journey. Uh, and it is a story. It's a uh, powerful story, uh, but it's not out of Jesus' mouths. Uh, mouth uh, in the same way that the parables are. It's from the book of Ezekiel. So um, so I'm Aaron. Uh, I'm actually going to start with a short biography uh, before we get to the passage. Um, uh, and better known as, oop, not just another story, uh, this guy that Drew so lovingly keeps putting this picture in uh, all sorts of things. Um, and my daughters are embarrassed by this a little bit. Uh, I'm not. I've been taking bad pictures since 1981. Um, it just kind of is how I look in photographs. Even when I'm not trying, uh, I end up looking that way. Um, and uh, so that picture doesn't embarrass me. Uh, neither do these. Uh, for the sake of my daughters, I kept the top shelf ones out of the slideshow. Um, uh, so they can thank me later. I'm sure they will. Uh, but Drew said, I'm a goofy guy. I'm a fun guy. I've always uh, kind of been a little bit off, a little bit different with that. Uh, and uh, so I grew up in the Twin Cities, grew up uh, locally up in Andover. Uh, the fact that I'm in urban ministry is kind of a miracle. I, I uh, grew up kind of in the suburbs, but I'm a country boy at heart. I uh, grew up fishing, hunting, kind of always wanted to be out uh, away from uh, people. I'm an introvert. I, one of my favorite quotes about introverts is, I love people, but I also love not people. Uh, I love not people a lot, um, even as I, I have this calling from God and feel so uh, blessed and, and privileged to, to serve and, and love and walk alongside others. Um, but grew up in a believing home. Um, and uh, came to the Lord uh, around six or seven years of age uh, and really grew up in the church uh, 
And if you did grow up in the church, um, maybe you have a similar story of uh, kind of learning a lot of religious kind of stuff, church attendance, learning, memorizing Bible verses, a lot of stuff. Um, But it usually takes, it took me at least, some hard things to begin to actually look at faith for myself, to look at scripture for myself, to really uh, make my faith my own. And, And so I have a number of those experiences Uh, that have helped me do that. Uh, Some of them really good experiences, meeting my wife in college, uh, having children, um, you know, my calling into ministry, all sorts of things that have helped me live out and grow in this faith. Um, But one of the big things uh, that uh, really uh, has helped or helped me, it's helped me in, in a hard way, uh, examine my faith and look at scripture and trust in God in new ways is uh, my journey with anxiety and depression. And I've mentioned this from the front before, so uh, maybe it's not a surprise, but I didn't show any pictures from the my teenage years, not because they're too embarrassing. Uh, clearly, I, I don't have a line for too embarrassing. Um, but I wanted to visit that because because that's really when anxiety and depression showed up for me. Oh, I also wanted to say I'm not the only elder at Hope that takes weird pictures. Um, this is Drew. There's a story behind this. And you should ask Kelly to tell it, not Drew. Um, but here's me in middle school, uh, and it is awkward, and it's awesome. Uh, but this is around the age when anxiety and depression really first showed up in my life. I didn't know what it was, actually didn't have a name for it, didn't have any sense of what that was for uh, maybe nearly a decade. Um, I just thought I was broken, inferior, less than, uh, unlikable, unlovable, all sorts of things that that anxiety and depression can tell you. I had those swirling around uh, in my life for a long time. Uh, And amazingly, my choice of those glasses or that t-shirt didn't play a part uh, in my anxiety or depression. Uh, In case you're wondering, that is a picture of Michael Jordan uh, palming Spike Lee's head on that shirt. Uh, It's pretty amazing. Um, So about that age, I started having all this stuff uh, coming up inside me internally that I didn't know what to do with. Um, It's really some hard years, some dark years. Um, but I also kind of figured some things out by mostly by accident uh, on caring for myself, on coping, on adjusting, and and made it through high school, made it through college, and kind of had some things to hide it or run from it or uh, cover it up. Um, and uh, into marriage as well. I think early in our marriage, there's some things here or there, some difficulty sleeping, some stretches where uh, anxiety creep up. It really wasn't until about uh, seven years ago that it all really kind of came to the surface. You know, my kind of self-diagnosis and self-treatment started falling apart. Um, and uh, and, and uh, really um, brought me to understand my faith, uh, uh, to look at Scripture in a new way. And so uh, that's what I want to do today. I actually want to go to a passage um, that has been tremendously helpful for me. Uh, it's a story of redemption. Um, yeah, here's some of my journey through uh, anxiety 
um, just the, the cloudiness of thoughts, the loneliness, the uh, kind of pressure. Um, uh, but one of the really important things that that I've learned that I didn't have words for, I didn't have language for when I was younger, was understanding that my perceptions, especially when I'm struggling with anxiety and depression, uh, dealing with hard circumstances, when my circumstances are piling up, they don't always match reality. And they don't always match the ultimate reality that God is working in my life and in this world. Um, and so we're going to look at Ezekiel 7. I chose a cartoon version uh, of this for a picture because there, the, a lot of the images of Ezekiel and his ministry are the stuff of nightmares. Uh, you look up and there's some uh, crazy uh, gothic, all the skeletons, all the blood and guts, all the, the craziness. Uh, there's a lot of judgment and hard things. So we went with the cartoon version. Um, but we're going to look at Ezekiel today. Um, and we're going to see how the words he shares, the prophecies he gives, uh, help Israel look beyond their circumstances to a deeper reality. And that's what a lot of biblical prophecy is doing. It's helping people, not just in the future, but in the moment, interpret what is happening. And so for Israel in Ezekiel's time, um, they had some incredible stuff going on, uh, some really hard stuff going on. Um, and the people of God are trying to figure out what, is happening? What, what sense can we make of this? And uh, in, in this passage, he'll show them reality that is different than perhaps what circumstances might tell them. Um, so we're going to look at Ezekiel here, uh, and we're going to look at how do we see things rightly? Um, how can we look at God's word and mine out the truth of Scripture so that we can see things rightly? Uh, beyond just what situation and circumstances might tell us. So Ezekiel is uh, ministering in a time of tremendous loss and pain. I saw and did some crazy stuff. Um, so the people of Israel at this time, they're ex experiencing judgment from God in the form of conquest and then uh, deportation at the hands of the Babylonians. Um, and actually, as Ezekiel is writing, he hears about the final destruction of Jerusalem and, temp and the temple when he's already been in Babylon for several years. Uh, so he's like in the midst, uh, in the midst of this incredible cultural national loss. Um, and so the book itself, for 24 chapters, Ezekiel is going to lay out all the reasons why the exiles are facing that reality. Uh, and it's 24 chapters of... Uh, God's judgment and Israel's sinfulness of their idolatry, of their wickedness, of their participation in injustice and oppression, of the um, wickedness in their own hearts. It's really grim stuff. And so for 24 chapters, Ezekiel is lifting up God's holiness and his righteousness and his goodness and Israel's unfaithfulness. He talks about whoring after the other gods, after other things in this world. All sorts of uh, powerful language. And just this rampant sin of Israel that brings about God's judgment. Um, and so 24 chapters of that, both individuals and communities, uh, the community of God chasing after other gods, reviling God's laws. They're uh, all this dark, heavy stuff. 
Uh, and then the next five chapters, no, next seven chapters, Ezekiel talks about God's judgment on the nations. So Israel isn't alone in idolatry, in sinfulness, and wickedness, and oppression. Uh, and so you get 32 chapters uh, that are just grim. They're dark, they're heavy, um, and it's God's judgment on sin. Um, and uh, so those 32 chapters, uh, he's basically preaching Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's also preaching the first part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Um, and so consider that, that, that this is the buildup here for 32 chapters, uh, it is all this heaviness, this darkness, feeling the weight of sin in the world and in our lives. Uh, thankfully, he does get to Romans 3.24, where all are justified freely by his grace through redemption. And he gets to the second half of Romans 6.23, where the gift of God is eternal life. Um, but it wasn't until chapter 33. And it's at that point in the book, in the, the historical account, where Ezekiel hears of Jerusalem's final destruction. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, chapter 33, he hears of the temple being destroyed. And uh, stop and consider that for a moment. He's been in exile for years already. Um, all the leaders, all the people have been scattered, families torn apart. Uh, this was done through conquest. There are families broke broken and shattered by separation, families broken and shattered by deportation, families broken because of death in battle. Um, all this loss, new place, loss of every material, everything. Uh, and they're sitting there and they're, they're looking, God, what, what is going on? What do we make of this hardship, this pain, this terror? Um, and uh, it's at this point where the story takes a turn. You'd think in this, this lowest of low moments, uh, if ever there was a time to kind of sit around and lick your wounds, uh, to lament, uh, they had been lamenting for years in Babylon, God offers a word of hope. And it's really remarkable here in, in, verse, or in chapter 33. So he's already in this exile for several years. People have feel abandoned, lost, cut off without hope. Um, and uh, he, we... Turn to chapter 37 here, right? Uh, so there's an old song that you're familiar with, maybe, that comes out of this passage. The foot bones connected to the... No one knows? Carolyn knows? The leg bone? All right, you guys know that. Uh, the whole anatomy, the whole uh, skeletal structure goes through this song, right? All these different bones connected. That's from our passage today. Uh, it's actually an old song, an old spiritual Um and I only remembered as a kid the, uh, you know, the bones connecting to the bones. But the, the final wor words of each refrain is, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, and that's a, a big part of this passage today. Hear the word of the Lord. Um, so we're going to look at Ezekiel 37, uh, 1 through 14. I read about the prophet Ezekiel going to a valley of dry bones. Uh, and in that valley, God gives some astounding promises um, and the song, the original song, captures those verses. It says, them bones, them bones, going to walk around. Them bones, them bones are going to walk around. Uh, in the passage itself, we see 
Ezekiel declaring the word of the Lord over a valley filled with bones so that God will rebuild those skeletons, flesh and bone, uh, bringing them back to life in order for them to see uh, God's promise fulfilled. So let's uh, look at those verses here. I'm not working here with the uh, clicker. Oops, I missed a couple. One of them was a more grim portrayal of Ezekiel's ministry. This is God's judgment. Here we go. The hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore, I prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Uh, so this imagery of the dry bones, I love this passage because it's got this incredible promise and image of hope. And you can just imagine it. Uh, the, the language is used here. The image is, is so powerful. And God's ability to bring life and beauty out of the dry bones. Uh, for me, this passage really speaks when I'm struggling with my anxiety and depression, when I'm in those hard places, when my soul is weary, when I'm crying out, how long, O Lord? Uh, this passage speaks powerfully to me because uh, God sees those dry bones. He sees my inner being. Um, so as we look closer at this passage, I want you to bring to mind the, the dry bones in your life. Uh, where do you feel dried up? as the passage says, or without hope, or cut off. 
what are those places? Is it a relationship? Is it uh, that area of sin that you've kind of just, you don't think you'll ever see victory? What is that place in your heart uh, that feels that parchedness? Uh, and think on that as we go through. Where are you without hope and cut off? So as God speaks in this passage, he brings uh, before his people a progression of miracles that reveal his tender redemptive care, right? This is a redemption story. Uh, we get to visualize God's redemption at work. Uh, each stage brings this pile of bones closer to being whole and holy persons experiencing the blessings of God. Uh, and it reveals that we're more than just sinew and bone. Uh, it shows us that we're the very image of God and are meant to enjoy him. Um, so you imagine this valley. This isn't like a valley with the little meadow and the creek going through it, right? You don't have dry bones in a green valley. This is a desolate place. Uh, and furthermore, the bones are scattered. They're on the surface. This is actually a, a battlefield. The Lord talks about these are the slain. Uh, this is a place where people have been destroyed. Uh, and their ruins, their bodies have been left for the birds and the beasts to scavenge. Uh, not even the proper respect for a Jewish audience to not bury the dead. I mean, th this jumps off the page, right? This scene, so evocative of just this uh, shame and dishonor of a lost battle of unburied bodies, of bones scattered, of a dry and dreary place, right? Um, and God starts working. Uh, so the, this miraculous return to wholeness begins with detachment of bone to bone. Uh, my grandpa was a biology teacher, and he used to have a, a full-size skeleton uh, in his classroom. I actually have the skull from that skeleton. Uh, I say it's my grandpa's skull, uh, which it is, but not in that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, my daughter brought it to preschool once uh, with my my wife brought it to preschool to talk about some nursing and body stuff and how God makes her body. And kids went home and said, yeah, Miriam brought her great-grandpa's skull, uh, which out of the mouth of a three- or four-year-old, without an explanation, is quite odd. So anyways, my grandpa has a skeleton, 206 bones. Every single one of those bones has its own shape and function, right? You don't just kind of randomly put pieces together. In your hand, there's all these little bones, and they each have to sit in just the right way, okay? They're not interchangeable. Even from this side of my body to that side of my body, I can't move a bones. Every single one belongs in the right place. So there's this valley with very many bones, the scripture tells us, right? Uh, entire place covered with bones, and God is going to sort and assemble each one of those without failing to get the right femur, femur into the right hip socket, right? Uh, he's not going to misplace, oh, uh, sure, you got one short leg and one long leg, and, and there's your twin. He you got the other one. Uh, they're not mixed up. Every single one is where it belongs. Uh, so my kids have tons of Legos, uh, which we love because it keeps them quiet and they have fun, and which we hate because they're all over the house and we step on them. Uh, but... It's like uh, God here is like, our Legos are scattered across the house. He's going to pull all of those, all those different scents, all those different bins scattered around the house, all those different instructions, and he puts them back in place. We could not do that in our house if our family spent the rest of the year working on it. Uh, it's just not possible. That's the kind of uh, 
uh, God at work promise we're seeing here, right? All those pieces from all those sets and all those different places in the house being put in the right place. So, But God's not done yet. He doesn't just want to have uh, a bunch of anatomically correct skeletons for a biology classroom or for a Halloween decoration, right? He begins stitching those skeletons together, tendons and ligaments and muscles, each where it belongs, right? Uh, organs are put in place uh, from the useless appendix to the nervous system stretching to every little cell and corner of your body. And he uh, stretches skin and hair over it all, uh, returning beauty or handsomeness as he pleases. Uh, and still at this point, we only have a valley of nice-looking corpses, right? The passage tells us they did not have the breath. Flesh and bone, but devoid of life. Uh, but God doesn't want to run a morgue. He's not here just to kind of reconstruct some bodies, right? He calls for breath, his breath, to enter into the bodies, bringing them to life. And this passage is very intentionally written out. Dry bones, dusty environment, and breath being breathed into them, right? He's calling Israel to reflect back to the garden. And God takes a handful of dust, <laughs> breathes, and Adam is there, right? This is an imagery that pulls back to the original act of creation. And uh, so God does that. In a blink of an eye, Ezekiel sees the body standing up be before him. He calls him a vast army. All of a sudden, the valley of bones is a living, breathing mass of humanity, right? Scattered to... <sighs> um, and what happens next is a pinnacle of the miraculous account, right? So flesh on bones is amazing, and return of life is amazing. But what God promises next is his very own breath. God promises to put his very own spirit into them. Uh, if you actually go back to chapter 36... That's where God makes that famous promise, replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and he'll pour his spirit into his people. Um, so it's not just bodies. It's not just living, breathing people. It's his people with his breath, his spirit in them. Um, so he's not just returning them, these bones, to a state of life in a fallen and sinful state. This is a redemption story, right? Through the promised spirits, he shows he's going to resurrect his people to a life where they can truly be whole. With the power of the spirit at work in them, they will flourish in as full a manner as we can imagine, right? Body, mind, and soul will be resurrected and knit together. Um, God promised to return those bones to a level of life and to fullness that they'd never experienced before, um, and what's so great about this prophecy is God gives the explanation. Some of the prophecies in the Bible, we kind of scratch our heads over. Uh, God does the work for us here, right? He does the heavy lifting. He, he talks about these dry bones, right, are the people of Israel. And he's not primarily just concerned that they're displaced. They're displaced because of sin. He's primarily concerned with the brokenness that they have that needs to be restored and that needs to be redeemed. They don't just need life to move. They need God's spirit in them. Uh, and so this resurrection, this redemption is uh, incredible. Uh, and I just love this passage. It's got so much depth. So uh, at the end of it, verse 14, God says, 
Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it. I have done it. So uh, what do we do with this story? Um, For starters, it shows us God's immense power, right? Uh, This isn't a science lesson. It's not a medical practice. Uh, There's no other human contrivance that could do what God did in that valley, right? To reassemble every single human being in that valley is a demonstration of God's power. So the scale of this is just immense. And it points forwards to the day when there'll be a full and final redemption, right? Only made possible, only possible by the work of God. Um, So Ezekiel precedes the book of Ephesians by half a millennia, but he makes the same point as that in Ephesians 2, right? Um, We are dead in our sin and trespasses, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dry bones, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and he has raised us up from those dry bones, raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Uh, So when I consider my dry bones, my anxiety, my depression, my parched and dry and weary soul, Uh, This verse gives me tremendous hope uh, because I know that my anxiety is not too big for God to handle. It's not too much for him to see and be able to help with. Um, There's no guarantees of miracles in our lives. There's no guarantees that uh, I'm going to ever be done with anxiety and depression. I can tell you I'm not. I'm on the stage here today living with those things. Uh, but at the same time, we know God is bigger than our deepest fact, uh, deepest pains. Uh, God is bigger than our worst feelings, the worrisome possibilities that my anxiety or depression might imagine. Um, even the worst case scenarios that we think could come true are not bigger than what God can handle. His love is powerful enough to work even in that. And it adds a further layer of hope um, when we think about our own lives being knit together. Uh, This passage shows that God cares for his people in a holistic way. Everything is put back in right order. Um, It's a vision of life that is vibrant and full. And Jesus himself tells us the same thing, right? He says he came to this world that we would have life and have it abundantly. And he's not speaking of long years or great wealth or great health. And he's not promising a trouble-free life. Rather, he's speaking of a state of being, uh, an inner working of God and through the Spirit that allows us to experience uh, peace and joy and hope that no circumstances in life can diminish. Uh, In Ezekiel, we see that God cares about our suffering and he wants to offer hope. Uh, And faith in him isn't just an abstracted spiritual salvation to be revealed in eternity, But faith in the work of God and in Jesus Christ actually offers practical help for our wellness, for our healing, here and now, as we live in faith. The idea that God views us as whole and complete beings who wants to redeem all of our messy realities. Um, 
And he knows we experience brokenness in all areas of our life in different ways. And so this picture of total resurrection and total restoration uh, gives this incredible image of new life. Uh, new life in Christ, that abundant life, right? Um, so a lot of times uh, our own desperate prayers for healing, for change and circumstances, they, they can go unanswered or partially un- unanswered. Uh, a lot of your stories play out like my journey with anxiety and pr- depression, right? And there's significant ups and downs. There's seasons of health and seasons of sorrow and suffering. Uh, so I don't want to create a false hope or set you up for disappointment. Uh, we're not promised all those circumstantial things. But at the same time, we serve a God who is not daunted by those hard things. He's not intimidated. He's not scared. He's not too small to deal with it. Uh, And he will one day deal with it. It actually already has been dealt with by Christ on the cross. Um, I want to close with two kind of thoughts that that spin off of this um, Ezekiel passage. Um, and so he's speaking of redemption and restoration, of hope reborn, of a God whose love will stop at nothing to bring his chosen people into his family. Um, what's so important for us to see in Ezekiel and in the gospel uh, is that the dry bones of our soul, God will restore those. Um, so we're going to peek back into chapter 36. We're going to read uh, the passage I referenced before. Uh, And we're going to hear about hearts of stone being replaced with hearts of flesh. We're going to hear about how the indwelling of God's spirit will allow us to live and walk in a manner that is pleasing to him and that allows us to be with uh, God. So here we go. This is uh, verses 26 through 28, Ezekiel chapter 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Um, And I underline that last couple of words there. You will be my people and I will be your God. The work of redemption in our lives, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the restoration of our souls, uh, is what allows that last bit to happen. You will be my people and I will be your God. And that thought actually gets picked up a lot of other places in scripture, but I'm going to go to my favorite place where that same thought where this redemption and restoration through the power of God and the work of his spirit uh, allows him to be our God and us to be his people. And this is from Revelation 21. Uh, And I want to finish the service uh, reading this here. Um, where we read again that God's redemption will allow us to be his people and he to be our God. And this will be familiar to a lot of you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that was destroyed in chapter 32. This new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And I love the finality of this last part. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, to the dry bones, to the weary souls, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Uh, that Ezekiel passage has so many story angles that spin off into places of hope, resurrection of new life, the spirit of God being breathed into us. Uh, and I just want to encourage you with that this morning. We serve a God who sees all the messy details. He sees your valley of dry bones. He sees the hard places and he's tender in his care. He's perfect in his care. Every single piece can be restored through him and will be restored through him as we see in Revelation 21. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain. Uh, I want to leave us with a couple questions here. Um, I don't want to assume that everyone has that relationship with God where uh, Revelation 21 is your eternal reality. Uh, if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you've not surrendered to him and received that gift of his breath of life and of his spirit, uh, there's people in the back praying. You can connect with me, other elders. We'd, we'd love to uh, connect you, connect with you, uh, talk about that. You can do that now to pray that God would breathe that new life in you. Um, God's power is infinite, as we saw in this passage, and his care is tender. How can you live by faith in this in the days ahead? Maybe it just means your soul is quieted and stilled, knowing that he's powerful and he cares. Uh, last question, who else in your community, uh, other exiles in the journey, uh, needs to hear of God's power and care? Who can you encourage this week uh, with God's power to overcome and his care to make things right? Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close in worship. Uh, you can give online through the app if you want. Um, and uh, there's people that love to pray with you in the back. Uh, and then we have communion in the hallway. We don't ask that you be a member of our church uh, to participate, but we would ask that you've trusted in Christ uh, for life uh, and redemption in him. Um, Justin, going to play a couple songs. I'm going to pray quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious and kind. Uh, you are powerful. Uh, you do not tremble and quake at the sight of our problems. Uh, you do not withdraw because they're too big, but you draw near. You come near through your Son and with your Spirit to breathe new life into our souls. And so we thank you for that. And uh, we pray that we'd be people of hope, people of redemption this week. Uh, we thank you for this time and your word and worship this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.